So after God created all things that we can see, he looked down upon his creation and said it was not good for the man to be alone. Everything else was good. Everything else was great, except it was not good for the man to be alone. So he created woman because men need some help. Right, men? <laughs> you know, that just, that's a concept that applies not just to men and women. That applies to all of humanity. It is not good for us to be alone. Humanity is better together. Humanity is better together. And over the next couple of weeks, that's what we're going to be hopefully learning about as a church, as we gather together around this series called The Ins and Outs of Us. We're going to be looking at how we can better live together as God has designed them. So I want you to turn to somebody on your left. You turn to somebody on your left, and I want you to tell them, this message is for you. No, I mean, like, really tell them, because it doesn't sound like you're actually saying that. And now turn to your right and tell them, this message is for you. And now look at me. Look at me. And tell me. It is. It is. It's a message for all of us. It's a message about us. It's for you and you and me and, and for us. You see, Jesus makes us the church. I'm sure it's not uh, hard for us to understand that human beings want to belong. We look around and we just see that it's a part of how we live. But how does this happen? So here's the point. If you want to write this down and then tune out, I guess you can. But here's what hopefully I'm going to be unpacking together over the next couple minutes. Um, when Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ calls us to follow him, he calls us to encourage and challenge each other and others to take next steps and grow together to belong. We live in a culture that is more connected than ever before. Don't you agree? I mean, we literally have all the information of the ages in the palm of our hands. We can make a phone call and be connected and talk to somebody literally around the globe in a matter of seconds. We can communicate via text message to our family all at once or one at a time. We can get emails about business. We can uh, tune into social media and be on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and anything else you could possibly want. We can do FaceTime and actually put our kids to bed when we're traveling on business. And yet in this sort of cultural seemingly connectedness, we find that as a culture, we are more depressed, isolated, and in need of connection than ever before. People feel alone. 
they're connected like they've never felt before or never have been before, and yet they still feel alone. We often see messages not of connection, but of hate and of bullying and of anger and rejection. We don't see compassion and empathy in the ways that we connect through technology, but we see apathy and condemnation. We see people who are searching more for likes than knowing who they truly are in God. And so we have a problem. Is this what God had in mind? Is this God's design for what it means to live together? See, community is God's idea. And we're trying to find and live that out. And cheers might be a great place where everybody knows your name. And it might be awesome to spend some time with your friends. And we may have lots of different scenarios that we watch on TV and are are entertained by to understand how people get together and live through life. But those things might be good, but I suggest this morning, I suggest this morning that God actually has a better way. And if we look to the Bible and if we look to Jesus, we can hopefully discover that together. The church is God's dream community. It is the people of God, changed by and following the mission of their master and savior, Jesus Christ, who seeks to redeem broken places and restore the world to the glory of God. And this community, this people, this community is a community of love. It's a community of forgiveness. It's a community of mission and justice and hope. It's people who are formed by Jesus to bring life to each other and to the world. So this uh, community of the church was proclaimed by Jesus, but it was not set into motion until after. After his death on the cross and after his burial and resurrection and after even his ascension into heaven, the church began on a day we refer to as Pentecost. And it was a Jewish festival in which Jews from all around the known world gathered together to celebrate and seek God. But in that moment, something extraordinary happened. You see, Jesus had told his followers, numbering just 100 at that time, to meet together and to wait in Jerusalem for a promise. That promise was the Holy Spirit. The part of God that would come down and live in each and every believer. And so this happened. It's recorded for us in the book of Acts when this Holy Spirit came down and filled and indwelled the apostles who had gathered in a room and the disciples liked them. And they began to speak in ways that others could understand. And again, in this room filled with people around the world, they said, how? How can they speak in our tongue? How can we understand what they're saying? And so some of them said, you know what? They just must be drunk. We, they just must be just speaking crazy talk. But Peter arose and spoke and said, this is not because of what we have drank. This is because of why we've been filled by the Holy Spirit. 
And so he stood up to this gathering of thousands of people and he preached a sermon, a message that outlined the good news of Jesus Christ. That even though they had crucified Jesus, he had risen again and he was someone that they could know personally in their lives. That's where we pick up the story today. So I invite you to turn either in your Bibles that you brought with you today or on your app, or it'll also be on the screen. Let's look to God's word together. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said, and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone. Everyone who calls, whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Would you pray with me? God, we ask that you would add your blessing to the reading of this, your holy word. We ask that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name we can pray. Amen. So let's unpack this a little bit this morning. Let's take a look at this first century community. Let's look at how these first followers of Jesus were connected together. The first thing we have to emphasize again is that this was a diverse group of people. These weren't people who were necessarily connected by what they did for a living. They weren't connected by what country they were from or what language they spoke. They weren't connected by how much money they made or what they dressed like. They weren't connected by favorite sports teams or by anything else that we could place our interests or hobbies in. But they were connected by one thing that rose above them all. You see, they were also a group of people that, though diverse, had a very uniquely similar experience. They had a uniquely similar experience in that they heard the good news. They heard that forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ. 
and they received this new life in him. And so where there is repentance and faith that this group exhibited, there is also forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit given as gifts to all believers. This is a really significant thing for us to understand, friends. It was given to all believers, not just the best, not just the worst, not just those who needed it, not just those who rose above, but everyone who would acknowledge Jesus as their master and Messiah, their Lord and forgive you, their Savior and King, changed inside their hearts. This gift was for who? Everyone or all. There wasn't a follower of Jesus left out. There wasn't someone's sins who were too big to be forgiven. And there wasn't someone so insignificant that the Holy Spirit did not fill from the inside out. This is the type of people we are today. This hasn't changed. The message of the gospel is the same. We speak this same message of Jesus Christ, come to forgive us of our sins and make the world right, today in 2018, that was said by Peter on that first day. And this is the faith that we hold to. This is the faith that not only unites us together as a family, as a community, as a church, but it unites us to them. It unites us to those first people who heard and responded to God's love in Jesus. It was a common experience that defined these people. An experience of meeting Jesus. And so we might be saved individually. We might have an individual experience with Jesus, but we aren't called to an individual life. Do you get that little bit of change there? That we might all have and we all should have a personal connection with Jesus, an individual understanding of our faith in him. But that isn't where it stops. You see, we aren't called to an individual life. There is something more. If you've been around hope for any length of time, you've probably heard us said what discipleship is. Discipleship basically means follow Christ. But we say it a specific way here at Hope. We say this. We say that we are in process to being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. Again, this is what we say. We say that we are in the process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. And that's what this first century group of people was doing. They were being conformed to the image of Christ. What does that mean? It means that you begin slowly but surely, sometimes in quick spurts and sometimes slower than others, to look like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to care like Jesus, to speak and act and move and think and be like Jesus. That's what a follower is. A follower has a master, and our master is Jesus. And so we see in this first community, we see the, you know, them following the apostles' teaching, which was Christ before then. And we see fellowship, and we see eating meals together and praying with one another. We see amazing things happening. We see unity. 
We see unity in this group of people, that they lived with things in common, that their interactions were made by sacrifice and by generosity as others had needs. They met weekly. Friends, they didn't give up meeting with each other because their schedules changed. They met together weekly and even sometimes daily. Their interactions were not just superficial. They were frequent and they were deep. And they praised God. And the people around them said, there's something different about those guys and girls. There's something different about that group of people. It says that they had favor with all. The message says they noticed something was different. They kind of liked it. That should be the same for us. And so there's so much to talk about in this passage, but I want to point at one thing, and that's the word fellowship. Fellowship. And if you've been around the church for a while, you may have heard phrases like, come on together for a time of fun, friends, and fellowship. Sometimes, you know, we, you know, might use this word, but how is it actually to change the way we live? You see, the Greek word that it comes from is koinonia. And koinonia has a simple meaning, and it says to share something in common. To share something important in common, to have a shared experience with God. Koinonia means to have a shared experience with God. So really, fellowship isn't about just getting together and sharing some snacks and talking about the Bible for a bit. It's a deep and selfless connection to others. And it is possible because of how God has created his community. You see, we also believe here at Hope that one of our missions is to connect with each other in authentic Christian community. What does that actually mean? Well, it means two things, we think. Number one, it means to connect as a community like this first century church did, like the first one did, that we would love and care and support and give and sacrifice and be in unity with one another. Those things don't just happen overnight, but we believe that they are possible. We believe that they're possible because of the thing that we share in common. What do we share in common? Do we work at the same place? Do we wear the same clothes? Do we have the same political connections? Do we have, make the same amount of money? Do we live in the same town? That might not be true, but what do we have in common? A shared experience with God through Jesus. Jesus is what we have in common. Jesus is our koinonia that brings fellowship to each other. It also is the part of our lives that allows us to be real. So much in this life, we're just not able to be real. Am I right in saying that? So much of this life, we are scared to actually post what might actually be real for fear of what others would think of us. That's not the way it's supposed to be in the church, friends. We're supposed to be able to be real. You know why? Because Jesus has accepted us as we are and forgiven us where we are and given us grace to become more than that. And it's not just for those who need it. It's for everyone. And because there is a level playing field, we can all come together and acknowledge our successes and our failures and be united in Christ. That means that we're seeking to be a community that is marked by sharing our time and our resources and our hearts with each other. 
That means that we should be a community that is sacrificial and generous with those same time, resources, and hearts. It means that we should treat each other as a community to be um, giving up that time to worship and study and pray together. It means that we should be changed in the way that we interact with one another. That we shouldn't just kind of come in and come out, but that we should be knit together as a community, as a fellowship, as a koinonia for God and for each other. But community isn't just about the way that we interact with one another here. It's not just the ins of the church that are important, but it's the outs that are important too. And that early first century community in Acts 2 knew that. In fact, it was created because that group of apostles wasn't just going to have a small, tight-knit, small group just to themselves. Wasn't just going to stay the 11 or just stay the 120. But they knew that there was something more that God had called them to do. And so it's not just about the inside. It's also about the outside. It's not an either-or. It's a both-and. And it's a both and because the community that was created on Pentecost was founded by the mission that Jesus had already given. And the mission that Jesus had already given was stated a little bit earlier in Acts. I think it's going to be on the screen. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are to be his witnesses. That is the mission that Jesus gave his church. That we can't be just so insular and concerned about ourselves, but that we also need to also look outside to the people and places and times that God has ordained and set apart for us to go and show his light and be his witness. This is why our koinonia is so important because there is a mission that undergirds all of that. That our connection to each other is because of that mission. Pastor Darren Patrick was quoted as saying, the common temptation in the American church is to neglect the world in order to protect the church. May this not be our temptation, friends. May we rise above and see that God has called us on a mission that will cause us to take risks for his glory. You know, I, I kind of geeked out with that Lord of the Rings clip. I know, I'm sorry, I just... Am I the only one? Thank you. What was that group of people called? They were called a fellowship. And they were united in a mission. You probably didn't see the beginning, well, because I didn't show it to you. But if you hadn't seen it, then you really need to see it. I don't know why you haven't had. But anyway, so there's this ring, and it is the manifestation of evil in the world. And the good people of Middle-earth recognize that this ring must be destroyed, and they have to set out on a mission. And they don't know who's going to go, but these diverse group of people, are you, you're tracking with me, right? This diverse group of people 
come together with this shared experience of seeing that light would triumph for darkness. That's the mission we're on. A mission not about ourselves, but a mission about others. And it is this unique connection that gives us a bond that is stronger than almost any other. Sociologists actually have a term that they've coined. They've taken the word community and kind of turned it on its head. They, they call it communitas. Communitas. Here's what author Alan Hirsch had to say about it. He says, there is a type of community that comes about when people share in a dangerous ordeal or a particularly demanding task. Certain sociologists have called this communitas. It happens when people move away from their safe place to a place of risk together as comrades. Communities of the Spirit are trailblazers that take on risks for the sake of extending the kingdom of God. I love to say where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is adventure. And so I would ask us, are we on an adventure with God? Likewise, Dave Ferguson says, whenever a group of friends come together for the cause of Christ, they leave behind the consumeristic thinking that the community exists for me and move together toward I exist for the community and the community exists for the world. You have communitas. The problem is we live in a society that is not often other-focused. It's often me-focused. What's best for me? What's my dreams? How can I best live my life? What's right for me might not be right for you. I, I, I. And so we have to react against that, friends. We have to be careful not to be sucked into that same type of cultural thinking. Because at the end of the day, we is greater than me. We is greater than me. Each one of us plays a part in this mission. If you have had your life changed by Jesus Christ, and our prayer is that all of us would be able to say that. If you've had your life changed by Jesus Christ, you are on a mission. I don't know how to be any clearer than that. You are on a mission to see God glorified and to bring his kingdom to the world. A kingdom of love and of peace and of justice and of mercy. And that we would be able to live out in all the places that he has called us to this mission that he has given us. It's not a mission for ourselves. It's a mission for others and for him. Communitas. If you talk to people who serve together in wars... You see communitas. You see a deep bonding together. Brothers and sisters who know what it means to lay their life on the line for each other, to risk it all because of something greater than themselves, that's what God has called us to. This isn't a time to hold back. This is a time to reach out. This isn't a time for just the most qualified or the most gifted. This is a time for everyone. 
everyone to acknowledge that if we have met Jesus, then we have a place in the story. That's what I find so inspiring, and that's what the others found so inspiring about that little hobbit's decision. What could he contribute? Not much, but he decided to go. That's what God is calling us to today. You know, I love hockey. Only one of you agrees. I love hockey, and I kind of like USA hockey. I might have a, you know, predetermined love for another hockey team. Anyways, in 1980, there was a group of kids, kids, college kids, and they were put together to play in the Olympics. And they had the task of going up against literally professionals from all around the world. And their coach, Herb Brooks, one of the best coaches of all time in any sport, recognized that he had to find a way to find koinonia for this team. I'm sure he didn't say that. I'm sure he didn't say koinonia. But you tracking with me? He needed to find a way to find koinonia for this team. So what did he do? The story goes is that he took the jerseys and he ripped the names off their backs. You know, right above the numbers where it would be your name, because it's really important for everyone to see who you are and what you're doing and where you're at. And he says, you don't play for the name on the back of the jersey. You play for the name on the front. And there is one name that we play for. There is one name that we play for. That name is the name of Jesus. We play for the name of Jesus. We live this life for the name of Jesus. We go to work for the name of Jesus. We raise our kids for the name of Jesus. We, we spend our money for the name of Jesus. We go on vacation for the name of Jesus. There is one thing that unites us all, that gives us common experience, and that is the name and person and work of Jesus. Amen? This is what we're called to do, friends. This is where we're called to go. It isn't just for some, it is for all. And so you might be saying, well, what am I supposed to do? How do I respond to this mission that God might be given? Well, it might be a little bit simpler than you might think. You see, there's a hallway down this path of the building and there are children right now in rooms down that hallway and there are people serving those kids because of communitas because they believe that there is a mission bigger than ourselves. And there are people who get on planes and fly to foreign countries and serve those who cannot serve themselves, and they are recreating communities in those places because of communitas. And there are people who are willing to set time aside to meet with someone who's struggling and who's going through a difficult time in life, not because they're a pastor, but because they're a brother and a sister, and that's what communitas is. And there are people who are giving sacrificially and obediently out of their hard-earned finances because of communitas. And there are people who are mentoring youth even when they don't have any because of communitas. And there are people all around us here at Hope who are a part of something because there is something greater than ourselves to be a part of, and that is communitas. Can you get on that? Can we recognize as a people that we 
are greater than me. And that every person who knows Jesus has been called to this mission for him. So we're going to take a few minutes and um, we're going to just reflect maybe personally on this. Reflect how mission is the root of community. And so um, I'm going to ask you to stand and maybe just close your eyes together as we just listen to God moving in our hearts and in this place. And we're going to pray together. We're going to pray that just like on that day of Pentecost, that as God's spirit is in this place, we would be focused on him focused on where he is calling us to go, focused on who he is calling us to be, focused on living a life that is fulfilling the mission that he has given every one of us to do. So let's pray together. Jesus, we come to you today knowing that you are truly Lord and Savior of all. We want to follow you, God. We want to be your church inside and out. And so if there are places in our lives where we know because you have revealed it to us that we are falling short, we ask that in these moments of silence, you would convict us and forgive us in the same, those things. Jesus, we thank you for your assurance of grace that though we may fall, you give us the strength to rise again. And so I just want to pray for us as a community this morning. I want to pray that you would inspire us, God, to the mission that you have given. That even the very gates of hell could not withstand where you have called us to go and be. For the kingdom of light will be triumphant over the kingdom of darkness. Help us to believe, God. Help us to believe in the mission that you have given to us, to be witnesses of your good news, Jesus, to our neighbors and to our coworkers and to our families and to even the ends of the earth. Jesus, in these moments of silence, show us how we can do that for you. God, when you add to our number just like you did 2,000 years ago, we will be careful to give you all praise and all glory and all honor for it is from your hand that we can live and serve and follow you. And we all agree together as one by saying...